Father, we thank you for the good word of God. And we celebrate today, this Easter morning, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For when he was crucified, we were crucified. And when he was raised, we were raised. And Lord Jesus, now that you're seated, we are seated in you. We pray, Lord, for great revelation and truth today, which only comes by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, who we really are in you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about the centrality of Jesus, and I realize it is Resurrection Day, but we're just going to continue right on with where we've been. Let me get this situated here. There we go. And we've been looking as uh, followers of Jesus Christ. We want to know the works of Jesus. And this is kind of where we've come to so far. Number one, he came to reintroduce the kingdom of God to us by putting the Spirit of God back inside us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that he might extend his Father's intimate and redemptive rule through us. You do realize that in the same way the Holy Spirit came and conceived Jesus Christ inside of the womb of Mary in the same way the Holy Spirit has conceived the living Christ inside of you and inside of your spirit. That's what it is to be born again. Uh, so he put the Spirit back inside us that he might extend his Father's intimate and redemptive rule through us. Okay, so yes, we know him, but we want to make him known as well. We want to spread the good news. We want to make disciples Number two, another work of Jesus is he came to destroy the works of the devil. If you came dragging in here today with bouts of guilt, shame, condemnation, uh, separation from God, uh, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Uh, Christ has paid the full price. God is eternally satisfied with the cross. They hear what I'm saying. He's eternally and righteously satisfied with the work of Christ's cross. So what that means is you're not just forgiven until you do something that you shouldn't be forgiven of. You are forgiven. And you are justified in the eyes of God. And so if you drug in here today, you get up. The best thing you can do is take God at His word. God cannot lie. And in these new covenant terms, we've got to, we've got to learn to take God more serious and take our, ourselves less serious. Because I'm telling you, church, if he says he's going to do something, and one of these is that I will be merciful to your unrighteousness in the new covenant, I will not remember your sin or your mistakes ever again. If he says it, he cannot lie. He means it. It is the truth. And that you can bank on that. And so stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yes, he sees your big pieces of stupid. And some are dumber than others. I, I get it. But God is eternally and righteously satisfied with the work of the cross. And so be free. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And when you blow it, here's an idea, Repent. Because he saw it anyway. A repentance is just you agreeing with him that that was out of step with who you really are as a new creation. And so you agree with him. So he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's First John 3, 8, part B. And then number three, he came to initiate and establish 
a new covenant. Let's go to Luke 22, verse 19. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, Likewise, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. God does not cut covenant without the shedding of blood. He will not do it. He will not do it. Every covenant he's ever made, he's going to enter into with the shedding of blood. Jesus is an actual lamb that's being slain to initiate the new covenant contract. Okay, and it is a modern day tragedy in Christendom that most most people who call themselves Christians here in the West still relate to God based on the old covenant. Based on, are, are they performing right? Are they doing things right? Are they uh, doing everything he says do? Because, you know, if you're good, then God will be good to you. But if you're not, if you're bad, he's going to be bad to you. That's the old covenant. Okay, this is the new covenant where God takes the initiative. In the old covenant, we initiate, God responds. The new covenant, God has initiated, will you respond? Okay, how do I respond? Receive it. Accept it by faith. Accept the gift that He has given in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator. Everybody say mediator. Of, of the new covenant. He's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first one, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Two words there that should stick out to you as a Christ follower. Luke twenty four forty nine. You remember when Jesus told the boys, he said, hey, uh, go and tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of of your father. What's he talking about? What's coming? The Holy Spirit's coming. God's going to write his law, his love, his power on the inside of your heart and your mind, and then may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. Amen. So I ate these scriptures and I dug out the word promise and I dug out the word inheritance and they're the exact same words from Luke 24, 49 and then also Ephesians chapter 1. So the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of all five uh, terms of the new covenant contract. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of those terms. I'll show that to you. Verse 16, for where there is a testament... Okay, like your Bible says, New Testament, what it's talking about is a will and testament. It's a covenant is what it means. And this new covenant didn't start on page 1000 of your Bible divider that says New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When did the covenant start? With the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus even teaches a lot of law in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But he's telling people who are under the law, he's raising the bar. See, the, the Jews mistook the law as their savior. Instead, the law, the purpose of the law, Paul writes a ton about in the New Testament, is to bring us to the realization that we need God, that we can't do anything apart from him. 
We can't have no other gods without his help. We can't not cover our neighbor's Porsche without God's help. In no way were they supposed to look at it and say, Whoa, I'm amazing, man. I got everything God asked. I can do it. Who needs God, man? I'm his man of faith and power. Just tell me something, God. I'll do it. I don't need you. I can do it. Just right after the flesh. And it is all flesh because after the fall of man, the Spirit of God had vacated. So man was really incapable of putting the image of God on display because we no longer had the spirit and DNA of God inside us, which is why Jesus had to come and give us the DNA and spirit of God back inside of us so we could actually reflect Him. And so they mistakenly thought that when Jesus comes and He's one-upping the law, you can call it Moses 2.0 if you want, it sounds like this. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if, a, if you look on a woman with lust in here, this is where your problem is, then you're guilty of adultery. They're not supposed to look at that or hear him say that and say, wow, I'm amazing. They're supposed to say, oh God, help me. Then he says this. He says, you've heard it was said, it shouldn't murder. But I say to you, if you're angry enough with your brother in your heart to call him a fool, you're guilty of murder. He is one-upping the law, and they're still veiled. They still think the purpose of the law is given to, to show how righteous they are. No, it's not. It's to show you how much you need God and how much you're void of righteousness without Him. Amen. How corrupt your heart really is. So anyway, I say all that to say <laughs> that... The New Testament begins when he sheds his blood. And he's he's prepping us for it because he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. I'm establishing a new contract between God and humankind. Uh, well, okay, don't get ahead of myself. I almost preached something, but all right. It's in there. I'll get to it. Verse 17. Thank you. For a testament is in force only after men die. It has no power while the testator lives. So if you're going to leave an inheritance to your son, he doesn't get it until you die. It's part of your will and testament contract. So Christ is initiating a new covenant, not between God and man, so to speak, but between God and the Son of Man, the substitutionary man, one and only perfect, well-pleasing God's Son. The covenant is between God and Jesus Christ. So when he dies, after fulfilling all that's required, he passes the inheritance to you. If you're in him and he's in you. That's how you're in the covenant. You've got to be in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Do a Google search of how many times the term in Christ is mentioned by Paul in the New Testament. Because it's referring to covenant. You need to be in Christ and Christ in you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Verse 18, therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So as I said earlier, when Jesus died on that cross, literally a lamb was being slain and a covenant was being initiated. Let me show you the actual covenant, Hebrews 8, 6. But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator Go between, peacemaker, if you will, of a better covenant. Everybody say better covenant. Established on better promises. 
one of the big reasons this covenant, this new covenant is better than the old is because the old was up to you. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was a revelation. Whoever said, oh, Lord, that's, that is a revelation straight from flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven showed you that. You don't want it to be up to you. We had our shot at it. In the new covenant, it's a better covenant with better promises because Christ has performed. This is based on Christ's faithfulness. And if you're in Him, you're in the covenant. Now, does this? I hope this gives new meaning to you now when He's breaking bread with the disciples. And He said, hey, this is my body being offered for you, Lamb of God, and here's my blood. We're going to start a brand new contract. I hope that makes sense to you. Verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for another one because finding fault with them. (laughs) He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they didn't continue in my covenant. And so I disregarded them, says the Lord. Jeremiah 3.8, remember God gives them a certificate of divorce. He gives the children of Israel a certificate of divorce because they do not keep the contract. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. Number one, I will. Not if you do something, then I'll do something. He says, I will put my laws in their mind. I'll write my law on their heart. And I'll be their God and they'll be my, t- my people. That's number two. The third term, no man have to teach his, his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord. They can all know me from the least to the greatest. Who's teaching us now? In the new covenant, who's the teacher? Holy Spirit. God himself teaches you. How awesome is that? We don't need all the hierarchy anymore. We don't need all the super scholars. We've got God himself on the inside of our heart and mind, teaching us and talking to us by the executive producer of the new covenant, which is the Holy Spirit. Which is fantastic because that's who we lost in the garden when we declared declared ourselves unfit to be lived in. All right, and then verse uh, 12, number 4 He says, for I will be. Now, underline that in your Bible. The word for, F-O-R. So the first three terms. I'm going to, you're going to be born again. I'm going to go inside you. Okay. What's the law of God? What's it summed up in two things? Love for, love for people. So he, he takes his law. He puts his law keeping son, his spirit uh, on the inside of you. Okay. So you, you get born again. Now you not only know what to do, you actually have the power to do it. Thank you, because you're a new creation. Number two, I'm your God, you're my people. What is that? Ownership. He's absolute owner now. He's lordship. So if you're worried about number four and number five, how he's forgiven all of our sin, man, I guess we can just do whatever we want. No, you can't. He lives inside you. (laughs) You can't get away with anything. If you can, you're not saved. Come on, somebody. Well, I'm so worried. Cindy, about number four and number five, he's just total carte blanche forgiveness. Are you kidding me? Don't be worried about it. <laughs> number one, he wrote his law-keeping self on the inside of you. Number two, you belong to him. He's your God. You're his people. Absolute owner. 
Your life is not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. You are indwelt by the very Spirit of God, Corinthians says. Woo! That's so good. See, religion doesn't think through all this stuff. Religion doesn't understand the work of the Spirit. Because religion is carnal. Flesh-based. And then number three, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to come inside you. You don't have to go to the scholars anymore. God himself will start teaching you. But look at verse 12. The first word, for. You know what that word means? Because. One, two, and three, because. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. And then number five, their sin and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Come on, go ahead, give God praise. How's it going to happen? Why, why is it so amazing? That word for. How am I going to do it? Right here. See, God can't wink at sin. And God can't break covenant. God knows it's death if you break covenant. You think God's going to break his word? And say, you know what, Ed, I'm not going to remember your sins anymore unless you sin again. Then I'm going to remember. <laughs> Isn't that how we live, though? God loves me. I believe that, man. Amen. I sing about it. I shout about it. God loves me unless I do something unlovable. And then he doesn't love me anymore. You think it's about you still. You take yourself too seriously and you don't take God and his, uh, his word serious enough. God knows it is death if you break covenant. So he says five times, I will do these things. What do we do? Receive it. Accept it. Verse 13, and that he says a new covenant, he's made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Boy, isn't that something? So all of this, Hebrews 8, is a direct quote from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Why is that important? Because in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, God had given him a certificate of divorce. But then Jeremiah says, hey, there's going to be a new covenant. I know you petered that one away, <laughs> but there's going to be a new one. So Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 Can I get a witness? As a student, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should be familiar with the five terms of the new covenant that he came to offer the world. Yes, amen. (laughs) I can bear witness of that. When Jesus told the disciples to go to Israel, did he tell them, go to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Was that the initial assignment? Yes, Matthew 10, 5 and 6. But after the resurrection, who did he say to tell? Everyone. Who said the whole world? Bingo. Acts 1, 8. You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remote parts. So now, now we're going global. So don't let the enemy tell you you're not part of this covenant. Mark 16, 15. Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who's the gospel for? Every creature. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. All nations, not just Israel. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for opening it up to all of us. 
So let's camp on this. Who's the house of Israel? Because he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make covenant, this new covenant with the house of Israel. Number one, those with the faith of Abraham, those who have faith in his promised seed. Who's the promised seed coming out of Abraham? Right. Jesus, capital S. And it does not say seeds, plural. Seed. Number two, the house of Israel. How do we know it includes us? Well, the blessings of the new covenant are identical with the blessings Paul so often writes about. Let me give you a few of them. Forgiveness of sins. Does Paul write about forgiveness of sins? Does he write about the empowering internal ministry of the Holy Spirit? Does he write about the knowledge of God inscribed inside our hearts? Yes. Partakers of God's divine nature. Okay. So this house of Judah is those with the faith of Abraham. It does include us. And those who have faith in Abraham's promised seed, which is Christ, because that is who the covenant is with. Now, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is now uh, the seed of Abraham. So let me show you that. This is it right here. This is Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, Jew or Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's no more male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, if you belong to him, if you're his possession, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. How exciting. We don't need anything else to be happy today. I mean, absolutely incredible what Jesus Christ has done. I told you when we started this series, when you figure out what the magnitude of what he's done, he didn't just come and die and raise again and yay. When you really see what Jesus did, you'll fall madly in love with him. If you see it by revelation, you'll give your whole life to him. I'm fully convinced of that. Okay, what else? Uh, And then the last one, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul explicitly says we are ministers of the new covenant when he writes to the church at Corinth. Were there any Gentiles at Corinth? Yeah, Jews, Gentiles, mixed bag. We're ministers of the new covenant. All right. Last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, we were looking at the new covenant is better because of five reasons. Number one, in the old covenant, the promises were dependent upon man's faithfulness. The new covenant is dependent upon Christ's faithfulness. Number two, in the old covenant, there was no new birth, but the new covenant has the power internally to walk out what God has asked. So there's new birth in the new covenant. Nobody in the old covenant was born again. Do you remember Matthew eleven eleven? I gave to you a few weeks ago. Jesus said, among those born of woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But I tell you truly, those who, whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Remember is when I went a rant about our vacation Bible school heroes or Abraham and Moses and David and all these Old Testament guys. None of them were born again. Jesus says, if you're born again, you're greater than all of them. Why would that be? Because the very Spirit of Christ Himself lives in you. So teach your children who's in them. 
Yeah. In the Old Covenant, believers were only counted as righteous. In the New Covenant, we're actually the righteousness of God. I mentioned it earlier. You're not just forgiven. You're justified. You're a brand new creation. You've been made right with God. Whoever's one spirit uh, joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. First John 3, 9, Whoever's born of God cannot sin. You've got a righteous, brand new spirit on the inside of you. Number four, it's better because the old covenant only covered sin. The new covenant, our sin has been taken away. And then the old covenant was temporary. The new covenant is eternal. You want to know why the new covenant will never fail, never break? Jesus is seated. Jesus cannot sin. He is ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And you're in Him. And this is eternal. This cannot be undone. <laughs> Amen? It cannot be undone. That's why, <clears throat> that's why the devil is mad. Isn't it Corinthians where it says that had the rulers of this world known what was really happening, they never would have crucified Jesus Christ? Don't let the enemy know more about what Jesus purchased you than you do. Dig into it. Become a student of the Word. Become a student of Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. Discover the works of Jesus. Discover what He's done. What we're doing is just scratching the surface, the ones we've looked at. He reintroduces the kingdom of God to our hearts. Number two, He destroys the works of the devil. Number three, He initiates the brand new covenant. Don't let the enemy know more about your freedom than you do. Amen, somebody. Devote yourself. I mean, let's, in the West, we're not good Christ followers. We're very lazy and flippant. So we don't want to be that way. Let's be dedicated and devoted followers of Jesus. We're students of His. You know, the chosen uh, premiere is on tonight. encourage you to watch it. 7 o'clock, just get the app and you can watch it. I cry every time I see the chosen. I just... I think they do such a good job of portraying Jesus as who he really is. And uh, I can watch Mary Magdalene get redeemed and healed and fall in his arms. I can watch it every day of my life. So why does it stir me? Because every time he says to Matthew or to Peter or whoever, uh, Nicodemus, even says to him, follow me. That's what we've missed in the West. We've got a lot of church members, but we need disciples of Jesus, students of Jesus who love him and love his word and that, you know, would give everything for him. Does that make sense? Uh, That's what he's after. And that's all that will survive in what's coming. What's coming in this world. Do not be blind Don't be ignorant of what's happening. The very spirit of Antichrist has been here for a long time. And before you think the Antichrist is all this anti-Jesus, it's not. It's counterfeit Jesus. It It is a much more deceptive. Like, well, that's okay. That's love. Yeah, that's okay. It looks like love. That's You better know him. You better know him in this hour. You better know him. Better know Jesus, know his person, know his works, know who he is, know his word, right? Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Why do you say I'm your Lord and master and owner, second term of the new covenant, but you don't do what I ask you to do? God, let that die in me. 
I hate that about myself. And I've only come to hate it in the last year. And I've been pastoring for 20... (laughs) I mean, really gotten a hold of the fact that, hey, I don't want to just know great truth. I actually want to obey it. And make, make excuses. I've made excuses for myself. Yeah, amen. I'm not. I think whoever has ears to hear is hearing the same thing. Will you follow me? And that's why I'm going to go back to the chosen. That's why it resonates with me. Because I see him. I'm like, yes. Yes, I'll follow you. I'll give you anything. Right? And then the game comes on. <laughs> I'll give you everything tomorrow. That's so true, Cindy. But but this is the word of the Lord. This is this is what's happening in this hour. I don't know. I don't talk a lot about the end times. I don't know how much time we have, honestly. Um, But I'm telling you, you need to get right with God and come out of just religious. Just come out of all the games that we've been playing for years. And uh, I think I've loved Jesus deeply for a long time. I really have. But I am really, what's really resonating with me now is, Steve, will you do what I ask you to do? Will you die to the things I ask you to die to? And will you love me more than anyone or anything? And I say yes. Yes. Lord, I believe. (laughs) Help my unbelief. (laughs) Lord, I want to give you everything. Help me when I don't. Help me when I don't. And he is gracious. But why am I saying all that? I'm saying that you need to be sober. You need to pay attention to what's going on in the world. That doesn't mean watch the news. I'm not talking about that. I just mean because all that news is it's not even news. It's just propaganda, people. So if you don't know what's going on, you need to be married to the truth. Get anchored to Jesus. Fall in love with him. If you're not born again, get saved today. What a great day to get born again on Resurrection Sunday. But let's give him our real heart and mind and let's be real students and followers so that when he says, follow me, it means something. Because I'm telling you, church member is not in the Bible. Being a church member, we have way more church members in America than we have born-again Christians. Yep. (laughs) All right, so did I get through all those? I did. That was my soapbox. How am I doing on time? Great. All right, so I want to take you to Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Because the it's a better covenant with better promises because the first covenant is based on your faithfulness or man's faithfulness. The new covenant is based on the faithfulness of Christ. Here's Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if... Everybody say if. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And if you do what I say and keep the covenant, you'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Do you see bilateral contract? God saying, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. But if you're not faithful, you don't get the goods. The new covenant does not say if then. It says I will five times. I'm going to do this. (laughs) Receive it by faith, which makes perfect sense because we are 
the seed, right, in Christ of Abraham in the sense of we are faith people. So guess what he does? In Exodus 20, the next chapter, God gives them the Ten Commandments, verse 1 through 17. Okay? And so it's a bilateral, conditional offer in regard to covenant. And listen, God had to, God had to relate to the children of Israel and lost mankind uh, in the Old Testament through reward and punishment and blessing and cursing because nobody was born again. And the law actually was there to try to even hold down sin. Put a little bit of fear in their eyes that, hey, sin will kill you, man. But notice, if you, if you will, then I will. Man's obedience is at the center. The law, <coughs> the law had weakness, as I said earlier, because they couldn't see it for what it was. Write this down. First Timothy chapter one, verse eight and nine says the law is good when it's used lawfully and it's used for a lost man to see his need for God. That's the purpose of the law. The new covenant describes God's covenant love, which rescues the believer by God's atonement, not our efforts. The person who lives in right relationship with God does so by embracing what God has done for him, not what he has done for God. Amen. The person who lives in right relationship with God, the one who actually has peace with God, the one who's at rest and enjoys worship and prayer, does so by embracing what God has done for him, not what he has done for God. And yet go to college campuses today. Ask, ask them, uh, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you pass from this life? Most all of them say, yeah. Tell me why. Well, my good outweighs my bad. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm better than my roommate. He's a real jerk, you know. So everything's just comparison, comparing to other human beings. Christ is the standard. Christ is perfection. You're, you're either leaning on Him or you're, you're in trouble. So this idea that, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I don't steal. I don't do much wrong. And that's, that's not it. You gotta flee that mindset that if you want peace with God, you have to embrace what God has done for you. And religion hates it because the flesh wants credit. The flesh and pride says, no, God blessed me with that new Cadillac because by God, I deserved it. I didn't sin for a whole week and he gave me a Cadillac. You're full of yourself. The devil gave you that Cadillac because he's got you wrapped around his little finger. Now you're going to go tell all the other humans, go start performing for God and he'll give you stuff. What, what, what is it? Transactional relationship. If you'll be good, God will give you something. If you're bad, He'll probably wipe out your city. Take a picture of this, please. At Grace Church, we live under God's new covenant economy. Meaning, we wholeheartedly reject transactional, performance-based religion. And instead, we wholeheartedly embrace the relationship Christ has freely given us. If he gave you a new Cadillac, I am quite sure it is to serve your neighbor or bring people to church 
or, or take the neighbor's kids to the ball game. It's to serve. It's to glorify his name. It's not for you to sit around and say how amazing you are. <laughs> but I grew up in this transactional Christianity. And you know when it hit me? When I had had my guts full of the prosperity gospel. When I had, I was up to my neck in it. And it hit me. Brian was, was there. He even knows when this little revelation began to creep in to Steve. I realized that when I went to a mission trip overseas, those people didn't have two cars, two houses, two TVs, and two VCRs to prove how blessed and highly favored by God they were. And that if I couldn't, if I couldn't center the gospel on relationship with Jesus Christ in the Philippines, then I wasn't preaching the right gospel. It's not, it's not, Material possessions are not some proof now that we're, we're in faith and we've got all the goods and we're king's kids and all that because I know people in the Philippines right now who don't have next to anything but they're madly in love with Jesus. And they, they pour out their life every day in love for Him and they don't sit around hoping to get two cars, two houses, two... Does that make sense to you? And I'm not against things. Things just can't have you. And if you have nice things, be humble. And be thankful that it's but for the grace of God that you're blessed and that you're blessed to be a blessing. Get get with me after. I mean, it just hit me. It's like, guys, we we can't go over there and turn them on to a bunch of material possessions. That doesn't make sense. We got to go over there and turn them on to Jesus, whether they're living in a house or a hut. If it's the gospel, it'll preach anywhere in the world. doesn't matter where you are. So when Jesus offered up his body on the cross and poured out his blood, he was inaugurating the new covenant that would make a way for God's law-keeping spirit to move inside of us, that would make a way for us to become God's own possession and make a way for the Holy Spirit to teach us and then make a way for all of our sins to be forgiven. So I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee of what you've been promised. He would not be living in you if you hadn't been forgiven. God is that holy God cannot put his spirit in an unholy temple. So he is eternally satisfied with Christ's sacrifice on your your behalf. How do we know this? Because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. Yep, get a hold of that. And so we're going to embrace the relationship Christ has freely given us. Now, can I get a witness? It wasn't free. It did cost something. It cost a very high price. Well... Let me spend the last few minutes on this. If it's all free, Steve, what do we... I guess it doesn't matter what we do. No, it does matter. You need to participate with what you've been given. Participate with what you've been given. If he doesn't remember your your sins anymore, if he's merciful to all your big, dumb, 
pieces of stupid, then do the same. Show mercy. Remember Matthew 18? Jesus, here's another great example where he's one-upping the law. He says, if you don't, he tells the, the parable, the wicked servant who owes the king a million dollars and he begs the king, please forgive me. The king says, okay. And then the king catches wind that he left there, went out and was choking a man who owed him $20. And he threw him and his family in jail. And the king called him on the carpet. Verse 33, Matthew 18, Should you not have shown mercy to him as I showed you mercy? That's a glimpse to where the new covenant was going. Because the rest of the story is, hey, your family father won't forgive you if you don't forgive. They're not supposed to get, oh, I'm a credible forgiver. <sighs> All my sins are forgiven because by God, I forgive. I don't even think twice about it. Somebody hurts me, robs me, pillages me. I think nothing of it. No, you better fall on your face and cry out to God. If this, if I can't be forgiven, if I don't forgive, I'm in trouble. Help me. But I love that he gave that picture that, hey, if you've been forgiven of a million dollar debt, what does faith do? It forgives. Out of the forgiveness you received, you you do the same, right? So your behavior matters. You need to participate with what's yours. Your behavior just doesn't matter to make you right with God, keep you right with God or any of that stuff. But it does keep you abiding in His love. Keeps you out of self-awareness and condemnation and the lies of the devil. Amen. How about John 15? Does Jesus say we need to abide in Him? Yes, He does. He said, you know, abide in me or you can't bear any fruit. But did you know in 1 John 3 it says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and you abide in God. So abiding is a fixed position. You abide in Christ. It's a position. I'm in Christ. I'm abiding in Him and He abides in me. I can show you that in Scripture, but I can also show you where Jesus said, if you'll abide in my word, if you'll abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. He wants you to be fruitful. Not just say, hey, thanks. So What am I saying? I'm saying abiding is a fixed position. Yeah, I'm in him and he's in me, but it's also a choice I make in my soulish man. See, my spirit is saved. My soul is being saved. My body will be saved at the second coming. My spirit is right with God. My soul is being made right with God every day. As my thoughts align with him, my choosing mechanism aligns with him. Does Does that make sense? Okay. My spirit is holy but I am also being made holy in my soul and in my body. How about this? Let me blow your mind. Hebrews 10, 14, For Christ is perfected forever. Those who are what? (laughs) Your spirit, man, is perfect. Your spirit, man, is holy, but the rest of you is being made holy. There's three New Testament scriptures that say your soul is being saved. Your spirit is saved. That You are heaven ready in your spirit man. Your spirit man cannot sin. Your spirit man cannot be separated from God. Amen, somebody. That's good news. But your soulish man is in training. 
Matthew 13, 33, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman introduced to a three-part meal until all three parts were leavened. So he takes his spirit, he introduces it to your spirit. You're immediately changed, born again, made right and clean. You're no longer a dog, you're a bird. You're a new creation. Now you're learning how to fly. (laughs) Bird dog. (laughs) Does that make sense? Your spirit is right with God. That's not going to change. That is eternal covenant. Congratulations. He is written inside of you himself. Jesus even said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll abide with you forever forever but your soulish man your mind your your thought life your will your choosing mechanism your emotions gavin can be the righteousness of god in his spirit but with his soul he can choose something unrighteous but does that all of a sudden make his spirit unrighteous now no. Why? Because he's been born again, First Peter one twenty three, by an incorruptible seed. So the seed in his spirit, man, can't be corrupted by his soulish man's foolish choice. Make sense? That's so powerful. But he is, he is gone to work on your soulish man. He is. He wants you to choose him. And so the spirit of Christ is divinely influencing upon your heart and mind every day to choose his choices. Will he choose for you? Nope. Can't have love without a choice, but he divinely influences your your soulish man, your choosing mechanism, your emotions, your thought life to become his until all three parts are leavened. So he starts in Gavin's spirit. That's a done deal. That's the new birth. But then through his ongoing receiving every day as a Christ follower, he becomes more and more like Christ in his soul and his body. He begins being leavened with the kingdom of heaven. Amen. How about this one? Look at this. Ephesians 2. For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not us, but look at this. But we are his workmanship created. That word created literally translated is recreated. You've been born again, recreated in Christ. There it is. In Christ. That's in the covenant. You're being recreated for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So works do matter. They just don't matter for the reason you think they do. Do good works today, but do them because you are loved by God, not to be loved by God. Do them because you are righteous, not to be righteous. Do them because you are forgiven, not to be forgiven. That was the weakness of the law. Now you have the power and intimacy of Christ in you to execute what you know to do. And this, guys, in a nutshell, is the new covenant. Far better. Far better covenant. Far better promises. Because now you got intimacy, you got power, you got grace, you got his love. He's always with you, teaching you and coaching you. You're you're learning to live this life from a fixed position rather than striving. Going after something. Amen. Will you stand with me? Gavin, you guys come. I want to end with uh, this thought because I mentioned I mentioned the uh, dog. Remember, we made fun of it. Let me find it. See, the law was given to show us that we were a dog and not a bird. 
Uh, okay, so in my example, God is always teaching you how to fly. But when you, how many of you know if you try to teach a dog how to fly, major issues. Because a dog doesn't have in its nature the ability to fly. But does a bird. To run and work, the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly, yes, but it gives me wings. You are not an old cruddy sinner that God signed off on. You are a new creation. You've been made right in your spirit, man. And yes, you're under construction. But now God internally is teaching you how to fly because from birth, what was in that bird at its birth was everything it needed to be a bird. And so you have everything in Christ to be who God desires you to be and who he says you are. Amen? Make sense? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you are a dog, you have not been born again. You are not a bird. You, you've not become a new creation where the Spirit of Christ's life has come and penetrated your heart. If you've not received him, would you please... Do me the honor of just lifting up your hand. Say, Brother Steve, that is me. I want to begin the journey today. I want to become a brand new creation indwelt by the life of my creator, my God. If that's you, will you slip your hand up and say, pray for me. Anyone. I want to be born again. Anyone. All right, if you're here today and you'd say, Brother Steve, I am committed to living the Christ life as a follower of Jesus, as his disciple. If that is you, I want you to open both your hands, lift your hands with me this morning. I want to pray for you. Father, we're tired of playing religious games. Father, we disown and disembark from all transactional, religious, stinking thinking. And I pray, Lord, that you would resonate and send forth resolve by the power of the Holy Spirit within these today that they're a brand new creation. We are not who we once were. We are brand new. And Lord, we do call you Lord. And so we want to do what you say. We want to do what you ask. So thank you for piercing our hearts today with the truth. Thank you for massaging our hearts to see what we can only see with your help. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Father God, you're our owner. And we say thank you that you're merciful to our unrighteousness and you don't remember our sin anymore. May we repay that in kind by being your people. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen. Let's give him praise. If you have questions or you need prayer, stick around. We'll meet you here at the front. Otherwise, let's go change our world. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.